welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger. So the talk that I was doing yesterday is now over. <laughs> so we're so grateful for that. Um, uh, it was about the a what is it? A Return to Virtue by Sister Elena Skelton, and she had. So many good things to say. So I, I basically did a bunch of quoting and I was able to quote Sister Sherry Dew from her last BYU talk and it was just so good. Um, the quotes, I mean, I hope I did them justice. <laughs> but anyways, um, here we go. We are doing Luke 22 and John 18. I'm kind of glad that these are all so short like last time. I was actually able to finish earlier than I thought last time, and I could have got started on this new, these new chapters, and I actually could have been ahead, but I had to give that talk. So I should say I got to give that talk, right? Because I always love the prep of a talk. In fact, that's why I love doing the Warrior Woman episodes, because then I can um, prepare talks, and I love learning and expanding myself in that way. Um, and it's like my time with Christ as well. And I get to feel the spirit some more and it's just awesome. But when I have to actually share the talks in front of a bunch of people, that's when it gets a little not so favorite. (laughs) I would say I'm more of a podcasting kind of gal, right? (laughs) Okay. So here we go. Luke 22, John 18. Oh, today the boys are putting on their um, soccer camp and I have to hurry. Oh, excuse me. Hurry because, because we need to get this going. Okay. So here we go. Luke 22 into Gethsemane. Jesus went with his trusted treat, trusted three apostles, uh, Peter, James, and John. And it was then that the weight of the sins of the world came upon him. So this is neat that we get to focus really just on this. He endured through the terrible weight and pressure, and the cup was indeed bitter. Jesus prayed, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thy, but as thou wilt. Elder Holland taught, The Lord said, in effect, If there is another path, I would rather walk it. If there is another way, any other way, I will gladly embrace it. But in the end, the cup did not pass. That was from January 2003, Enzyme. Okay, the atonement. Considering the incomprehensible costs of the crucifixion and atonement, I promise you, he is not going to turn his back on us now. When he says to the poor in spirit, come unto me, he means he knows the way out and he knows the way up. He knows it because he has walked it. He knows the way because he is the way. Elder Jeffrey R. Hall, April 2006, General Conference. Hello, sir. You guys ready? Do we need those balls at all or no? Are you sh- And which fence? Oh, why didn't you go get it? And did he? Oh, oh okay. All right. Well, I'm hoping that those balls don't, uh, it, that they're okay to get wet because it's wet outside. What do you mean? You, how do you know? 
Oh. All right, well, here we go then. Okay, so we're going to read in Luke 22. We're going to start kind of not in the middle, or not in the beginning, but in the middle. Luke 22, 39 to 46. And it came, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow and said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. So, first of all, now we are in Gethsemane and I feel like we need to be listening to the Lamb of God orchestra music again. <laughs> it's awesome how much the Lamb of God just comes in here. And it was such an inspired thing by uh, Rob Gardner. Okay, so another quote by Elder D. Todd Christofferson, October 2016 General Conference. He said, it is poignant, poignantly symbolic that blood came from every pore as Jesus suffered in Gethsemane, the place of the olive press. To produce olive oil in the Savior's time, olives were first crushed by rolling a large stone over them. The resulting mash was placed in soft, loosely woven baskets, which were piled one upon another. Their weight expressed the first and finest oil. The then added stress was applied by placing a large beam or log on the top on top of the stacked baskets, producing more oil. Finally, to draw out the very last drops, the beam was weighed, weighted with stones on one end to create the maximum crushing pressure. And yes, the oil is blood, blood red as it is first, as it first flows out. Wow, that's pretty crazy. We should look up a video about this, um, both Christ's suffering and the olive press itself. Also, there there lies great symbolism in Gethsemane itself uh, with with that olive press, right? But then I also think that um, there's great symbolism also of what Christ was telling the apostles, because um, he told them not to to pray and lest we they enter into temptation. And I'm thinking, what kind of temptation are they entering if they're sitting, you know, waiting for Christ? And is he considering, is he considering the, the sleeping as a temptation, like falling asleep as a temptation? So, oh great, my walking just paused on me. So I guess that means I'm gonna be done because it's already kind of getting close. So, but Anyways, I, I'm not sure what that all means. And so I want to make sure, okay, I'm going to keep going since I'm talking. Um, I want to make sure that I don't miss that, you know, like I know in the temple, I fall asleep all the time, 
So, and I definitely have prayed not to fall asleep. But what kind of temptation are we talking about here? Um, do we get tempted when our friends are going through a hard trial? We need to pray then. Do we get tempted when, when we're going through hard trials? And we need to make sure we're praying then. So, anyways, just lots of things to think about there. Um, I want to know more about the reason why Jesus said to pray because there was gonna, because we could enter into temptation. Because he asked them, why are they sleeping? You know, and who knows, you know, maybe they were, maybe that the, uh, maybe the sacrament took so long that it was way late into the night and, you know, they got sleepy and I can totally relate to being up late, but how could you fall asleep when the Lord's going through this is kind of my thing too. And so I want to understand, because I know that these guys weren't lazy, but I do want to understand a little bit more what that means. Rise and pray, rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. But he said it twice. So once in verse 40 and once in verse 46. So anyways, okay, moving right along to Matthew 26, 36 to 46. says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. Now this is Matthew's account. Okay. And saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with them, with him, Peter, James, and John, and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, what, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, you know, that was something my abuelita would always say to me, you guys. So she would always say, El espíritu quiere lo que el cuerpo no puede. And that was what it meant in Spanish. I didn't even know she got it from the scriptures. Of course, it figures that she would have, of course, because she was always reading the scriptures. Um, when, when I was little, she used to live with us, and she would tell me all about the temple and would read scriptures all the time. And like, her scriptures are all highlighted and written everywhere, and she would write scriptures on other places. So... I know that it's okay to write on your scriptures because of her. Okay, um, I do miss my abuelita, Olita, who is now in Peru with Grandpa Papito. And um, Finn and Faust, you guys might remember, but we would go and visit La Abuelita in Salt Lake when she was living here. But then... Um, like, I think it was when Fast was two or something. 
we needed to send La Abuelita to Peru because that way Papito could take care of her because she wasn't getting the nutrition that she needed. Anyway, so we miss her. Um, okay, and so that's verse 41. It says, 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at, a, at hand that, do, that doth betray me. it's it's like you can be like you like as you read scriptures i'm not very good at understanding a whole bunch of words when people say them okay like in books and things but somehow the scripture stories they can come to life as you read them and you might have to read them over and over just to get that reading comprehension. That's what I'm sorry. That was what I was trying to say. But sometimes if you intentionally read with the desire to know what it's saying, the spirit can help teach you those things. And the more that you watch videos about Jesus Christ, the more you look at pictures of Jesus Christ, and the more that you read the scriptures, you'll be able to picture your own story in your mind um, as you're reading and so continue to do that so that the scriptures when you're reading them will come to life go to art galleries follow people on social media who paint pictures of jesus christ and the stories that are found in the bible and get pictures in your homes of jesus christ and those different stories buy those picture books and things like that. I need to start reading those picture books to Flora because they're so good and it'll start helping her understand those stories. Okay, so some commentary about it from Redheaded Hostess. It says, so in Matthew, we see that Jesus' disciples went with him to the garden and Jesus told them to sit sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And Luke adds that Jesus counseled them to pray that ye enter not into temptation. Jesus then took Peter, James, and John with him further into the garden as Jesus took his chosen three further into the garden. Jesus began to be sorrowful and very heavy. The words very heavy can also be translated deeply distressed or troubled mark in chapter 14 verses 33 says that jesus began to be sore amazed as he entered into the garden elder james e talmage uh, said accompanied by peter james and john he went farther and was soon enveloped by deep sorrow which appears to have been in measure surprising to himself for we read that he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And that's found in Jesus the Christ, page 1,232. 
Uh, Jesus then told his disciples to carry you here, here and watch with me. Then Jesus went further into the garden alone. Elder Talmadge said he was imp impelled to deny himself the companionship of even the chosen three. Oh, you know, sometimes you do hard things and you need your, your friends, you need your sisters, you need your, your family, you need your strongest allies. But Jesus couldn't even take them. And as Jesus went on alone, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The cup represents what is inside of the cup or the contents of the cup, a symbol of what Jesus was partaking of at that moment. Or as Elder Holland put it, he pled with the father to let this crushing, brutal cup pass from him. But of course, it could not pass. End quote. So Gethsemane was a place of crushing. And that just kind of makes me think, what place for you was crushing or is a place of crushing? Or what place for you felt crushing? Or what period of time felt crushing for you? And who was there for you at that time? I'm grateful that I didn't feel as alone as Jesus did. Because I at least had him there with me. Okay, we are at this favorite painting of mine, An Angel Strengthened Him. Okay, and this painting is by Carl Block, and it's called Christ in Gethsemane. And there's an angel with Christ. And I really like that part in um, the church has a video of Christ suffering in Gethsemane, but there's an angel that comes and is able to be with him, gets to, gets to be there. And I always wondered, like, if we would have been the ones that, like, volunteered to do that. Like, who, who didn't want to be there is what I'm curious about. I know I would have wanted to be the one to help, although, I'm pretty sure I couldn't have provided as much strength as maybe he needed. But I'm just thinking I totally would have rose my hand or spoke up or whatever to be that, to get to be that angel, you know? Okay, so President Dallinick jokes, he says, the Gospel of Luke describes how he knelt down and prayed, Father, if it be, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The Father's answer was to deny the plea of his only begotten Son. The atonement had to be worked out by the Lamb without blemish. But though the Son's request was denied, his prayer was answered. The scripture records, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. 
strengthened from heaven to do the will of the Father, the Savior fulfilled his mission. End quote. And that's April 1994 General Conference, President Don H. Oaks. So I think that that statement can be said of all of us. After we are done living here on earth, I want it to be said, strengthened from heaven to do the will of the Father. Linda fulfilled her mission. Maybe that's what we should put on my headstone. Because I think that's what everybody is here for. To do the will of the Father and be strengthened from heaven while doing it. Because that's the only way it can be possible. Through the strength of heaven can we fulfill our lives' missions. Okay. Okay, now I'm going to read. Now I'm going to read. Mark 14, 26 to 42, even though we originally said that this was our Luke 22 and John 18, we're going to throw Mark, Mark 14 in here. Okay, so it says, and when they had sung on, on him, they went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus saith unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock croweth twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and said unto Peter, Simon, Sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye, and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them again asleep, asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. Okay, so Luke records that Jesus' sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And Joseph Smith corrected it to say, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. But President Nelson also taught 
The word Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew roots, gas meaning press and shemen meaning oil, especially that of the olive. Their olives had been pressed under the weight of great stone wheels to squeeze precious oil from the olives. So the Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane was literally pressed under the weight of the sins of the world. He sweated great drops of blood, his life's oil, which issued from every pore, end quote, President Russell M. Nelson, December 1989, Okay, and the Book of Mormon gives us added insight into the Savior's suffering and what his suffering included. King Benjamin and Helma prophesied, and lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and the abominations of his people. And that was in Mosiah 3, 7. Now it's from King Benjamin. And then Alma says, in Alma 7, 11, he says, And he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. And this, that the word might be fulfilled, which saith he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. Elder Richard G. Scott taught what the Savior experienced also. In April 2010 General Conference, he said, quote, first, an enormous sense of responsibility, for he realized that except it be done perfectly, not one of his father's children could return to him. Dude, the pressure. I mean, you guys thought you had a lot of pressure. Could you imagine that kind of pressure on someone? They would be forever banished from his presence since there would be no way to repent for broken laws and no unclean thing can exist in the presence of God. His father's plan would have failed and each spirit child would have been under the eternal control and torment of Satan. Second, okay, but first, let me finish, like, okay, so he said that, and if you feel at all the torment of Satan, you know that you would not be able to withstand that for a long period of time, um, because we need the Savior's help for that, and we don't feel it as much because we don't have to worry because we're now living after Christ performed the atonement. So we always have the atonement there for us. When Christ performed that atonement for us, immediately we rejoiced and we could know that we would not have to be tormented by Satan forever because of him. And so we don't even know what that actually could feel like. I mean, even if you have been tormented by Satan, you still can't even imagine what it could have been like because Christ has already performed his atonement for us. So it's like one of those things that you can't even imagine. Um, okay, and then he says, second, quote, quote, second, in his absolutely pure mind and heart, he had to personally feel the consequences of all that mankind would ever encounter even the most depraved despicable sins third he had to endure the vicious attack of satan's 
cords while physically and emotionally pressed to the limit. Then, for reasons we do not fully know, while at the extremity of his capacity, at the time the Savior most needed succor his father, allowed him to shoulder the wondrous responsibility with only his own strength and capacity, end quote. Yeah, because he withdrew the Holy Ghost, which we know is a strength to each one of us. So could you imagine? I can't even. And that was Elder Richard G. Scott. April 2010 General Conference. And Elder Talmadge taught that no mortal could have endured what Jesus endured. He said, quote, he struggled and groaned under a burden such as no other being who has ever lived on earth might even conceive as possible. It was not physical pain nor mental anguish alone that caused him to suffer such torture as to produce an extrusion of blood from every pore, but a spiritual agony of soul such as only God was capable of experiencing. No other man, however great his powers of physically, physical or mental endurance could have suffered so, for his human organism would have succumbed and syncope or loss of consciousness would have produced unconsciousness and welcome oblivion. In that hour of anguish, Christ met and overcame all the horrors that Satan, the prince of this world, could inflict. And that was, end quote. And that was James E. Talmadge, Jesus the Christ, chapter 35. And Mark tells us that Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, in Mark 14, 36. Elder Holland taught, quote, in that most burdensome moment of all human history, with blood appearing at every pore, and an anguish, and an, and an anguished cry upon his lips. Christ sought him, whom he had always sought, his father. Abba, he cried, Papa. Or from the lips of a younger child, Daddy. End quote. Okay, throughout the night, Jesus returned to his three apostles and found them asleep. To them, he asked, couldest not thou watch one hour? At this moment, Jesus would have been covered in blood, a scene hard to imagine. Jesus later found them asleep again, and then again a third time. But this time, Jesus invited them to sleep on now. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Okay, we're going to pause right there. And we're at Mark 14. Wait, hold on a second. No, we're not. We are at Luke 22, 47 to 53. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude... And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, 
went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. Oh, that was supposed to be a question. Be ye come out as against a thief as... Oh, I'm just torturing this. Butchering this sentence. Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Okay. Other David A. Bednar, he says, quote, The Savior has suffered not just for our iniquities, but also for the inequality, the unfairness, the pain, the anguish, and the emotional distress that so frequently besets us. There is no physical pain, no anguish of soul, no suffering of spirit, no infirmity or weakness that you or I ever experienced during our mortal journey that the Savior did not experience first. You and I, in a moment of weakness, may cry out. No one understands. No one knows. No human being perhaps knows. But the Son of God perfectly knows and understands. For he felt and bore our burdens before we ever did. Before we ever did. And because he paid the ultimate price and bore that burden, he has perfect empathy and can extend to us his arm of mercy in so many phases of our life. He can reach out, touch, sucker, literally run to us, and strengthen us to be more than we could ever be and help us to do that which we could never do through relying upon only our own power. End quote. He gave that a, a BYU devotional, October 23rd, 2001. Okay, so in these verses, um, we were reading that Jesus was willing to walk into the hands of those who would arrange his death. Jesus had identified that it was time. And while he, and he said, while he yet spake, behold, the multitude came and Judas identified Jesus by kissing him. Elder McConkie taught a more traitorous token could not have been chosen among the prophets of old, among the saints of that day. And even among the Jews, a kiss was a symbol of that love and fellowship which existed where pure religion was or should have been found. Judas thus could have chosen no baser means of identifying Jesus than to plant on his face a traitor's kiss. Such act not only signaled out his intended victim, but by the means chosen, desecrated every principle of true fellowship and brotherhood. Unquote. Oh, I just got chills. Like, that was not what someone would want to do after walking with Jesus. How, how could you ever, you know? And that was, again, Elder Bruce R. McConkie, 
doctrinal New Testament commentary. Okay, in Matthew 26, 47 to 56, we read the same things, except in uh, different words, right? Because of different perspectives. So it says, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus, so forthwith meaning without delay, and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them, this was Peter, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. And then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword thinkest thou that i cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels and it's so true i wonder how many of us were like send me down there send me down there Right now, I will take care of those people. But we knew also the plan. And it would have been so soul-crushing and stretching and painful and joyous all at the same time to watch this, you know? And to watch this happening to our Savior. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. So John tells us that a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came with torches, lanterns, and weapons. And Judas was to lead them to Jesus and signal which man to arrest by greeting Jesus with a kiss. Okay, so something that's kind of crazy to me, okay, is that people knew who Jesus was. Especially if you didn't like him. Like, like if you don't like somebody, you know who they are. <laughs> Like, there's no secret. Like, they, Judas was not needed. Like, he didn't need to go there. And that's something that's kind of eye-opening to me, that, that the things that are going to happen are going to happen anyway. Um, but that he didn't have to be part of that group. And it just kind of is helping me to see how sometimes we think, I'm still kind of formulating. So like, sometimes we, th we think that we need to be part of the evil stuff that's going on for some reason. Like Satan makes us think that they need our help to be a bully or something or like we need to be bullies 
because of whatever reason. But we don't. There's going to be plenty of other people that can be bullies, that can be mean, that can do his work. And we don't actually have to be part of that. Um, I know it seems kind of weird to say it out loud like that. But, like, why did Judas feel like he needed to do that? You know, like, like that's just the worst kind of thing. And I know that Satan was the one, you know, convincing him to do stuff and things like that. But, like, I don't know. Like, why did he think he needed to be? Like, did, they, did he think that nobody would know who Jesus was? Everybody knew who Jesus was. Even if you didn't really couldn't recognize his face at the beginning from like far away you would definitely know who he was once you were standing in his presence and so if there was like a big mob of people anybody in that mob could have pointed him out you know what i mean and so judas did not need to be that person but the fact that he wanted to be that person that is what is so like disturbing to me that he chose to be like that to Jesus. And like that breaks my heart for Jesus, you know? Like it makes me feel so sad for him. Like one of his friends, one of his disciples chose to do that. It's messed up. Anyway, um, I'm sure I've told you guys before when I was serving as young woman's president, I had counselors who were not kind to me and who were spreading rumors behind my back. And I didn't even know until one of my other friends told me that. And like, just so you know, I'm oblivious to people talking about me behind my back or anything negative because I don't choose to give haters that kind of time. Like, don't waste your time like that. Now, I didn't know that they were haters like that. But even the smallest thing of where people might think or want to talk bad about, like, I don't even, I don't even give them the time of day. Like, I don't even care. Like, like, okay, if you want to worry that much about me, that's fine. I'm busy. I have stuff to do. I don't have time to worry about you like that. You know? And so... I, I was totally not even, I didn't even know. But then when I did find out, it really bothered me. Because I like to make sure that people, like, that I'm not making people mad. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a people pleaser, but I'm a people pleaser. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, like, everybody wants to please people. That's why the, That's why we do things. Sometimes we just do things because we want to please people. We want to please the people we love. We want to please the people that are our friends. We want to please the people that we hang out with. I mean, that's, that's what makes us a good friend is when we're doing things for others, right? That, like, if, if we weren't people pleasers, then <laughs> you wouldn't really have friends, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, everybody, I feel like everybody is, like, a people pleaser, right? Because, like, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to please people so that they can be kind back to you, right? And then two kind people. Anyway, so, but 
I just think, I just think it's crazy that like some people will waste their time trying to put other people down or trying to make other, like stop other people from progressing or from doing their work because aren't you busy with your own stuff? Like I'm so busy doing my stuff. How do you even have time to worry about other people? You know what I mean? Like I can't. And so anyways, that's, that's why it like blows my mind that there's even such thing as haters or spam or people who try and be like people who make viruses and hack people. Like just worry about your own junk. Don't worry about other people. And just like do your stuff, like work on your own goals. Um, Anyway, that was a side tangent. So, anyway, so, so, and I don't know with this Judas thing. Okay, so band is a technical term for these Roman soldiers. This the officers. See, and it's anyways. I just I just don't think Judas needed to be part of it, but he chose to be part of it on purpose, right? And the fact that he chose to be part of it on purpose uh, says something about where he was at, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, he was lacking. And, or in other words, like Finn would say, lagging, right? (laughs) Okay, so the officers mentioned were likely temple guards. Therefore, behind the scenes, the Jewish leaders had been gathering this force to follow Judas into the night where, when this arrest would be seen by the public. Some scholars also suggest that a band of Roman soldiers would have been about 600 men. So if that is the case, this would have been quite the multitude. With all these armed soldiers standing ready, Jesus boldly stepped forward and asked, Whom seek ye? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I am he. And they went backward and fell to the guard. Even after the agony he experienced, even after blood came from every pore, even after the mental and physical anguish, Jesus spoke with such power and authority that they went backward and fell to the guard, or fell to the ground. Sorry, I said fell to the ground. I said guard fell to the ground. Now it's in John eighteen six. <laughs> they went. I feel like I need to reread that. We're going to keep moving. Again, in John 18, 7, Jesus asked again, Whom seek ye? And again, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus then commanded them to let these go their way. Twice now, Jesus clarified that he was the one they were looking for, suggesting that the soldiers and officers may have been laying their hands upon his apostles. These men still had responsibilities upon the earth. And Jesus was not asking, but commanding that his apostles would be let alone, which is granted even after Peter smote off the ear of the servant. At this point, Peter having a sword drew. Uh, at this point, Peter having a sword drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Oh, I love Peter, dude. It's totally what I would have done, even though Jesus would have been mad at me. <laughs> Every gospel writer recorded this event. But only John mentioned Peter's and Malchus's name. The high priest's servant, Malchus, was present. Some apostles asked, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Asking if they should fight and defend him. Peter, not waiting for an answer, 
and seeking to protect his master, swung at the head of Malchus. Peter was a fisherman, not a soldier, and he was seeking to defend Jesus. Dude, he, that guy is lucky he didn't just get like, his head cut off. <laughs> oh, I like him. Jesus then before the very men who were about to arrest him, healed the servant's ear. This is, <clears throat> wait, before they were about to arrest him, healed the servant's ear. This is the last recorded healing of Jesus Christ's ministry upon the earth. He healed the ear of a man. Help me. Helping with his arrest. And he did so while at such a low, tired, and exhausted state. One must wonder what the officers thought as they witnessed this miracle. Would this give them pause as to whether they should follow through with the arrest? Did they fear the Jewish leaders more than they feared God? Did any of them hesitate? Okay, so Elder David A. Benar said this. The consistency of the Lord's willing submission and strong self-restraint is both awe-inspiring and instructive for, all, for us all. As an armed company of temple guardsmen and Roman soldiers arrived at Gethsemane to seize and arrest Jesus, Peter drew his sword and cut off the right ear of the high priest's servant. The Savior then touched the servant's ear and healed him. Please note that he reached out and blessed his potential captor using the same heavenly power that could have prevented him from being captured and crucified. Unquote. You know, reading these chapters is like, just like he said, awe-inspiring and instructive. Getting to know my Savior through these preserved words has been so awesome. Like, the Book of Mormon has power, but these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, also have a tremendous amount of power and I think I'm going to have to add those to my, to my readings. You know, like I read the Book of Mormon in 30 days, should read the New Testament in 30 days. <laughs> Although this, I think it's like a lot more pages. <laughs> but it has been so awesome to see the Savior like this. To see him more like, like us and to see him sacrifice so much on our behalf. And it's just amazing. He is amazing. Okay, I'm going to read Mark 14, 43 to 52. And it's going to be like the same cover. We're covering the same information, the same time period, the same things. Okay. 
And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And that was the sign, right, that they were that he was giving them. 45. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straight away to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. What kind of problems did Judas have? You know what I mean? I want to know what was going on in his head. Why he felt he needed to be that guy, you know? Um, in his head and his heart, right? 46. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. My favorite. And this, which is so funny that, that I would love that, right? Like being mean to somebody else. But that's totally what I would have done. Or definitely would have wanted to do. Maybe I would have done something worse. Who knows? Hopefully not. <laughs> but I'm guessing that by this time, I would I would know who he was to me and, and who he was and would recognize that he could easily do stuff for himself that, and wouldn't necessarily need me to do that. Okay, uh, 48. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out? As against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from, from them naked. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. Seems weird. Okay. So that was the end of 50, verse 52. And then. I love that uh, Jesus reminded Peter that he had. He didn't need to have 12 men defend him. For he could call 12 legions of angels if he wished. Um, a legion was a military term referring to a division of the Roman army. One legion would consist of about 6,000 soldiers. So if he called 12 legions, that is 72,000 angels that could come to Jesus, to Jesus's aid. In Luke 22:53, Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple and the elders, this is your hour. Jesus was referring to arresting him in the dead of night. They could have arrested him during the day when he was in the temple, but they chose the night and the power of darkness to do their works. Why are they arresting him like a thief who needs to be cornered and caught if he has been sitting with them in the temple daily? Why not charge and arrest him there? Joseph Smith said, the powers of darkness strove to obscure the glorious sun of righteousness. Oh, so true. Right in Mark forty-one fifty-one, or fourteen fifty-one, there was a young man who was also there witnessing the arrest of Jesus. 
the Joseph Smith translation corrects it to say a disciple having. So this was not a, bay, a bystander. The Roman soldier, the young men, laid hold of this disciple, but he was able to wriggle free from his loose clothing and escape. This story, who it, this young man was. Wait, this story demonstrates the immediate danger that anyone who appeared to be a disciple was in. It is unknown who this young man was. Some scholars have, suggest, have suggested it could have been Mark himself, and that is why it is included in the record. Many scholars also suggest that it could have been someone in Mark's family, family's, Mark's family home where the Last Supper was held, which would have made Mark aware of the happenings on this night. Oh, that's interesting. See, I love that. This additional in, insight. Um, notice in Mark fourteen fifty, it says that they first they all forsook him and fled. Matthew clarifies who they all were when he said all the disciples forsook him and fled. Elder Holland said the supporting circle around Jesus gets smaller and smaller. And how true. But also, I wonder if that's because. They knew about how bad it could be for them if they stuck around and that Jesus wanted them to continue his work. Okay, and now we're going to read Luke 18, 1 to 12. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where there was a garden, into the which he entered and his disciples and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas, oh, so Gethsemane, was a place that he always went to. Oh, I think I heard that one time. And that, that seems really awesome, that it was his safe place like that. He really loved that holy ground that he consecrated to make holy for himself. Now it's legit holy ground, even holier, right? Judas, then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh whither, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him. It's like I can't read it again. Because normally when we say, whom seek ye, you know, it's like we're looking for you, but in a good way. We're looking. We're always looking for you in a good way, except these people. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto him, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Oh good, I read it right this time. <laughs> then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. So he's talking about the apostles, you know. That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant 
and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into into this sheath, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Oh man, this is so hard now. This is the part. These parts here aren't going to be really hard to read. Okay, John eighteen thirteen to 27. And led him away to Annas first. And he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou, art not thou also one of his, this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there, who had made a fire of coats. For it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. I, I don't, uh, with Peter, like, I'm totally with him. But at the same time, I'm like, how could he stand with them? You know, how could he watch? And this is why I love the um, oh, what's it called? The Lamb of God uh, orchestra performance is so powerful. The uh, number nineteen. The high priest then asked Jesus if of his disciples. And of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. I love that. He's like, I'm an open book. I've been telling you all these things for forever. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers, which stood by, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest also? Or answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest being his kinsman, all whose ear Peter cut off, saith, did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the crock crew. Okay, so during the arrest, all 11 apostles forsook Christ. And here in 11 verse, and in verse 15, we see that Peter and that the other disciple, likely John, who was not naming himself, followed Jesus. And Elder James E. Talmadge taught, quote, this is not to be accounted as certain evidence of cowardice, for the Lord had indicated that they should go, end quote. 
that's true. Remember, the Lord was saying, let these guys go. And he was probably telling them, like, y'all need to run. That's like, you know, you guys need to leave or something's going to happen to you guys. But I already told you that you need to keep your work going for me. Or my work going, you know, because if they die and he just gave them all the keys that they needed to continue the, the to continue his work, then he, he would not be able to, uh, like, it wouldn't be okay, you know, wouldn't be okay. Okay. Um, this is Elder James E. Thomas. She's the Christ chapter 34. So then it, um, in John 18, 15 to 16, it mentions that the other disciple went into the palace of the high priest and Peter stayed outside because of his, because of this admittance, John was able to be an eyewitness of the events and record what happened to Jesus in the palace. Oh man, that's, that's great and really sad, you know? Um, as Peter stood outside, a damsel, a servant girl, asked him, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And Peter answered, I am not. This was the first of three times that Peter denied Jesus that night. Now, I, this experience that John is having and that Peter is having by watching the Savior go through this reminds me of that, uh, that account in the Book of Mormon where... Now I can't remember who it was. Was it Alma? And somebody else had to watch um, the children and women and children be uh, burned, and they couldn't do anything about it. Right. So that's how, like, it, I bet it felt for them, where like they were watching Christ Himself suffer all of this at the hands of mere mortals. And they couldn't do anything. But that they knew that God could do something if he wanted to do something about it, right? Same with the women and children that were being burned alive. That they knew that God could do something. And that's a hard place to be because sometimes we know, like, God's going to do something about this, right? But then it's like, wait, aren't I one of his servants? Aren't I one of his hands? Aren't I his hands? If God's going to do something, it's going to be through me. Like, that's what, that's what our, my immediate, um, response would be like, wait, God himself isn't down here. So I better do something about it. Right. But God himself was there at that point. That was that he, he was Jesus Christ. So of course he could literally do something about it. And so that is what's so hard, I think, to just be a bystander. Okay, um, and then and then when uh, Annas questioned Jesus and he wanted to know of Christ's disciples and doctrines, he wanted to know the guilty things Jesus was teaching and all about the people with him. Jesus protected his disciples in his reply and explained that he taught openly, including in the synagogue and in the temple. He explained that his teachings were not secret, and Annas could know that if he asked others, oh, and Annas could know that if he asked others. This was not just a response, but Jesus understood the legal proceedings. The high priest should bring forth witnesses, including for the accused. Jesus was inviting him to bring forth witnesses in Jesus' favor. 
the response Jesus received was a strike in the face. After this, Annas sent Jesus to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who was the acting high priest. Okay, so Peter, still standing outside, was warming himself by the fire along with servants and officers. One of the servants asked, Did I not see thee in the garden with him? And Peter again denied. Luke records all three denials of Peter. First, it was to a certain maid. Second, it was to another. And third, it was to another who accused Peter an hour later. Okay, so let me read uh, Luke, that section. In the, so then they took him. Okay, so Luke twenty-two fifty-four to 71. Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was with him, was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask, ask you, you will not answer, answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. After the third denial, um, okay, so now I'm reading some more commentary. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, and how he had said unto him, Notice what President Hinckley said about this. It's very crazy around here. As I have read this account, many my heart goes out to Peter. So many of us are so much like him. We pledge our loyalty. We affirm 
our determination to be of good courage, we declare sometimes even publicly that come what may, we will do the right thing, that we will stand for the right cause, that we will be true to ourselves and to others. May I go back to Peter, who denied and wept. Recognizing his error, repenting of his weakness, he turned about and became a mighty voice in bearing witness of the risen Lord. He, the senior apostle, dedicated the remainder of his life to testifying of the mission, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if there be any within the sound of my voice today, who by word or act have denied the faith, I pray that you may draw comfort and resolution from the example of Peter, who though he had walked daily with Jesus in an hour of extremity, denied both the Lord and the testimony which he carried in his own heart. But he rose above this and became a mighty defender and a powerful advocate. So too, there is a way for you to turn about and to add your strength and faith to the strength and faith of others in building the kingdom of God, unquote. And that's President Gordon B. Hinckley, April 1979, General Conference. I wasn't even born then. Okay. So Luke then tells us what happened to Jesus after this. The men who held Jesus blindfolded him and struck him in the face. Um, and after that night in Gethsemane, and with no sleep, Jesus was blindfolded and struck, and he endured it. It's so crazy. Then Jesus was taken where the Jew Jewish leaders were assembling. This would have been a trial before the Sanhedrin, which was the highest Jewish court. Okay, and I'm going to stop right there for now. And we'll pick up again tomorrow. And this is page six. And we're at Matthew 26, 57 to 75. Okay, so today we are coming at you from the treadmill without headphones. So there might be a change of sound or whatever um, because of that. But I didn't want to skip reading um, today because A, we're almost done. B, this is like really important uh, things that we're covering today. And anyways, just needed to let you know why we were doing this or why there was a change. Okay, so 56 or Matthew 26, 57 to 75 says, and they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure or urge 
thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. It's so crazy the way that they ask these questions. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. So he was basically saying that Jesus was speaking against sacred things, which is impossible to do because he is God. And he's allowed to. And he's right. He's speaking facts. Okay. And then what think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. So they were trying to punish him with death. Um, and so they were trying to charge Christ with blasphemy. Can you even believe that? That seems so crazy. Okay. So then, 67. Then did they split, or then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, which means they stroke him repeatedly and violently, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. So these guys were just mocking Jesus, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? And now Peter said, Without it sat without in the palace and a damsel came unto him saying thou also was with jesus of galilee but he denied before them all saying i know not what thou sayest and when he was gone out of into the porch another maid saw him and said unto them that were with them that were there this fellow was also with jesus of nazareth and again he denied with an oath i do not know the man And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech uh, berayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Oh, man. So true. Okay, so in these verses, the same story as Luke and Matthew's accounts. um, The same stories are as Luke in Matthew's accounts, which are told. um, And Matthew gives us the added insight that the council struggled to find a false witness against Jesus. Not because there were not any willing, but because many bear false witness against him but their witness agreed not together. Elder Talmadge explained, quote, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. And sitting of the Sanhedrin at night, and more particularly for the consideration of a capital charge, was directly in violation of Jewish law. Likewise, was it unlawful for the council to consider such a charge on a Sabbath, a feast day, or even or on the eve of any such day. The accusers were required to appear in person and they were to receive a preliminary warning against bearing false witness. Every defendant was to be regarded and treated as innocent until convicted in due course. 
But in the so-called trial of Jesus, the judges not only sought witnesses, but specifically tried to find false witnesses. Though many false witnesses came, yet there was no witness or testimony against the prisoner for the suborned, suborned perjurers failed to agree among themselves. And even the lawless Sanhedrinists hesitated to openly violate the fundamental requirement that at least two concordant witnesses must testify against an accused person, for otherwise the case had to be dismissed. That Jesus was to be convicted on some that Jesus was to be convicted on some charge or other and be put to death had been already determined by the priestly judges. Their failure to find witnesses against him threatened to delay the carrying out of the nefarious scheme. Haste and precipitancy characterized their procedure throughout. They had unlawfully caused Jesus to be arrested at night. They were illegally going through the semblance of a trial at night. Their purpose was to convict the prisoner in time to have him brought before the Roman authorities as early as possible in the morning. As a criminal duly tried and adjudged worthy of death. The lack of two hostile witnesses who would tell the same falsehoods was a serious hindrance. But at the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Yet this semblance of formal accusation was the sole basis of a charge against Christ up to the stage of the trial. It will be remembered that in connection with the first clearing of the temple near the commencement of Christ's ministry, he had answered the clamorous demand of the Jews for a sign of his authority by saying, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He spoke not at all of himself as the one who would destroy. The Jews were to be, destroy to be the destroyers. He, the restorer, be the inspired writer, is particular to explain that Jesus spake of the temple of his body and not at all of those buildings reared by man. End quote. Although James E. Thomas, Jesus the Christ, although he could also do that with the actual temple, right? Um, which is like temples made of stone. So I guess that's probably why they thought. But yeah, I love that they were like totally making up stuff about Jesus to try and accuse him of things. So anyways, I really like that quote, that statement by Elder James E. Talmadge. Okay, Mark 14, 53 to 65. This is the uh, fourth account of this um, torture that they're putting Christ through and also the account of Peter. And here we go. I'm going to read this. This is the end of it. Um, and so, yeah. And they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him, remember Caiaphas, and with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witnesses against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bare false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bare, 
and bear false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple um, that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But neither so did their witness agree together. Okay, so remember the quote. Um, it wasn't that he was going to destroy it. So they're just making stuff up. But, um, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses say against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and saith, What need we any further witness? Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. And as Peter was beneath the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth? But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he th thought thereon, he wept. Okay, so this is Mark's account of Peter's denial, making this event recorded in all four gospel records. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Peter's reputation is often connected to this moment, as well as the moment where he started sinking as he walked on water. But these stories are only part of Peter's great story. His story continues in the book of Acts. We will see a Peter who will openly heal in the temple and stand before this very same Sanhedrin, boldly, boldly testifying of Jesus Christ. They will ask him by what power he healed the man at the temple. And Peter will say, be it known unto you all and to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand here before you whole. And that's Acts 4.10. Peter will then lead the church with boldness and enormous courage. Mm, I love that. And uh, fun fact, mom and dad just went to the temple, oh, excuse me, yesterday, and we got to go through and do a temple session um, with Cole and Zach, your cousins, and it was so awesome. And the last time we had gone to the temple with them, was also with Jake and Cooper, and it was when um, in 2018. So it's been like five years since we've been to the temple together, and it was just so awesome. I kept having little moments where I would get really emotional and start crying because time goes by so fast, you know. And these kids have been through so much, and 
to know that they are steadfastly holding on to the rod of iron and coming unto Christ is just so amazing. Um, and so inspiring, you know. So, anyways, um, when we were in the, se- in the temple session, we actually get to hear uh, from the apostles. So, it's kind of cool. So, just, you know, giving you a heads up there. I won't tell you what they said, but um, it's cool to see to see them there. Okay, so... Um, There's a quote by Carlos E. Ace, um, and it's found in the seven M's of missionary service, proclaiming the gospel as a member or full-time missionary, chapter four. Okay, quote, the, men, the metal of the man Peter did not come automatically and without effort. Peter was subjected to trials and temptations and all else commonly referred to as the refiner's fire. The heat of opposition did not consume him. It served only to burn out the impurities and weaknesses and leave refined a pure metal. Peter emerged from the furnace of affliction as a polished, strong sword of righteousness. His iron strength of character carried him through to the end of his mission. After the day of Pentecost, Peter was a man with a cutting edge. He exhibited a sharpness of mind that enabled him to bear witness of the risen Christ. It is recorded that on one occasion his words cut to the heart that's in acts 5:33 those who sought to slay him undoubtedly such sharpness of mind was the result of much study fasting and prayer end quote okay that was awesome from elder carlos e ace remember look up the books uh, or the book the seven m's of missionary service i'm going to have to look that up for real i love that he kind of put it out like that because it's so true some of us experience that refiner's fire that um those afflictions and temptations and trials and we think that we can't come back from it and we think that we're broken or we think that we're ruined or we think that you know whatever satan tells us that we can't return to jesus christ that we can't return to heavenly father but it's not true And I love that Peter's example is recorded in the scriptures for us to remember that any of us can become just like Peter. And if you think about it, Peter only got limited training before um, he became an apostle of the, uh, or uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Remember, he started following Jesus Christ as an adult, like they were all adult converts. They were not, um, They were not baptized into the church when they were eight. You know what I mean? So they were all adult converts. And I love, I also love that about each one of them. That nobody had learned everything that they needed to learn. Now, granted, they did, they were, you know, Jewish. um, And so they were uh, raised with the Bible and studying the old testament and everything so they knew that um but still they didn't know the doctrine of jesus christ as he was um proclaiming it while he was on the earth so that was like brand new to him it's brand new to us sometimes 
depending on where we're at. In our conversion process, you know, they certainly didn't have the Book of Mormon. And so it was, so for us, it's almost like we have even more resources, more things that we can um, use to bring us closer to Christ, right? Because the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. And if Peter, who didn't have all of the resources that we have, can get tempted and can can fall, but then can also use those things that happened to him for him instead and and rise above and gain that powerful testimony that he has, like then any of us can, any of us can. And I think that's what Elder Carlos Iese was trying to say is that Peter went through all these things and we go through a lot of things, but Peter became you know, a powerful teacher with much study, fasting, and prayer. And with much study, fasting, and prayer, we can also prophesy, teach, and lead people to Christ. And anyway, I love that. So so don't ever get discouraged. Don't let Satan t- tell you that you can't do something, that you can't be a missionary, that you can't, you know, help your friend that you can't share your testimony because you have been such a bad example or whatever, you know, don't breathe life into those words that Satan is trying to tell us. But, but use these words as a comfort to know, you know, that Peter struggled just like the rest of us, but he came out on top and we can too. All right. I love you guys. Thanks for showing up. And just another little side note, because it's kind of like fun to jot down some uh, memories. So today, Dad's working all day. He always works so hard for us. And tomorrow's Father's Day. And um, today we're going to go visit Hobie, because he is at an assisted living center, because Grandma and the Bartolos family are over in Europe. And so Grandma put him in an assisted living center, so she wouldn't have to worry about him falling or anything like that. And so, um, and being able to get nourishment that he needs. So anyways, so good. Um, that he's gonna, he's there. So we're going to go visit him today and we're going to do some yard work and going to get signed up for one of our workout places and hopefully get ourselves healthier and stronger and anyways love you guys and oh yeah we were gonna go to strawberry days to have some fun but the boys didn't really feel like going except that they want to get strawberries and cream so i said okay but let's let flora do at least one ride maybe two because it's strawberry days okay love you guys bye